Welcome her up. She's going to come share with us for a minute. We are thankful to have her with us here in the States. Good morning, everybody. It's a good day. It's a day we can serve the Lord. And I'm just so happy to be here. He's an awesome God. I want to tell you, there's nothing impossible with God. He can do all things, no matter what your age, no matter what your size, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are. And you know what? God has called each of us to be a missionary. Amen? I don't hear you yet. Amen. Wherever you are, in your workplace, with your neighbors, in your school, in your church, in your community, God has called you to be a missionary. I am a South African. My name is Marianne. Nobody can ever pronounce my surname. It's such an easy surname. It's Kutsia. <laughs> Kutsia. Uh, and uh, I have been, I'm a born and bred South African. I'm a cross-cultural missionary in my own country. And God has been awesome. This is my 50th year in ministry, Pastor. Woo! I love it. I love it. I am so grateful to God that he chose me. I'm nothing. He chose me to be a missionary in my own country. And I tell you what, I'm so excited about it. I love what I do at the moment. And you'll see there, I live in the most beautiful country in the world. I have to be biased. And Dawn, you and, and Nova both been there, so they know. You can see there, it is a beautiful country. Now, right at the bottom where this green is, right at that bottom, that's where I live. And uh, I, I was born there where the blue is, right at the top of South Africa. But when I was 22 years old, God called me into cross-cultural missions. It was the apartheid years, and I went. When God said, go, I went. You have to be obedient to God. I tell you what, God will never lead you where he cannot keep you. He's that awesome. And uh, God has kept me for 50 years. I have been 18 years full-time not earning one cent. But God has provided for me every day of my life. I, have, I own only a car. That's all I own in this life. And my, my clothes, of course. But I own nothing else. But you know what? I am the happiest person in this world. I, I really am. Brother, it is awesome. It is awesome to walk by faith and trust God as your provider. I tell you what. But we have to be givers as well. Yes. That's, that's the key word right there. I want to say that. When you are giving your offerings and your tithes, you know what the Bible says? We have to be cheerful givers. Do you know what that actually means? It means you have to be a hilarious giver. You have to come up here. Woo-hoo! There's my tithe and my offering. You have to be so happy to give because God honors that. Because you're giving with the right heart and the right spirit. Well, I want to quickly tell, I don't have long, so I don't, you can see me, I'm always, the arms are always out because I'm excited for the Lord. 
He has brought me out of a very deep, bad, abusive lifestyle. When I was a child, God brought me up. He's a restorer. He can revive you. There's nothing God can't do for you. I want to tell you that. I stand here a complete and whole woman before God today because of what he has done for me. And I want to encourage you, if you are brokenhearted, if you have a problem, if you have an illness, I had to die in 1990. My doctor said to me, you better get your will and everything in order. Your time is up. Well, God had other plans. I had ovarian cancer at that stage, and God healed me. Look at me today. I, was, I, I weighed only about 95 pounds at that stage. And God said, I will put fat on your bones. Now I have to say, God, please stop. I have enough fat on my bones now. But God can heal you. I was supposed to have been in a wheelchair. I had three very bad back operations. But God healed me. I can kick as high as this, brother. I'm 73 years old or young. Let me put it that way. I, I want to tell the older people especially, don't think God's finished with you yet. He's got more work for you to do. Come on. Lift those bones. Strengthen those bones. Get up. Rise up. And become an awesome tool in the hands of God. He wants to use you. Okay, let's have the next slide, brother. Thank you. All right, go on. You go, brother. I, I wear many hats in South Africa. You can put all three of them up. Uh, I do leadership and clergy development training. I write curriculum as well. I used to be the Bible school principal, but handed that over about 10 years ago to a new, you know, we've got to know when to hand over to the new Timothy because God's got other things for you to do. So that was part of it. I do Christian life coaching and training and development with youth in schools. And just like America, we're not allowed to preach Christ in the school. But you know, God's in charge. He opens the door wide. I'm teaching in a squatter camp, and you'll see some of it now. And God opened that door. I go in there every week, three times a week, for five hours, three times a week, and work with those grade seven students. And I work with the teachers and the assistant teachers. And they are just lapping up what God is giving them. And that's just God. I give him the glory. It's got nothing to do with me. I'm just the vessel. So God's doing the work. And then I also work with women. I love women. I love men too. Oh, by the way, brothers, I love you. We can't do without you, brothers. But the women in South Africa have been depressed. They are nothing. They belong in the kitchen. So we are using the word of God to uplift them, to fulfill the place that God wants them in his kingdom. So that's what I'm doing. Next one, please, my brother. I've got to move on. You can go on still. You can go more, even more. So that's just all that I've just spoken to you about. You can go on, brother. Okay, this is some of our leadership that I had in a group that we trained for a week at a camp. And it was awesome. Oh, my God, the power of God just fell. And we had such an awesome time with the Lord. We, want, we have rural pastors who've never been able to go to Bible school. And we are training them now. We're a group of five of our Bible school lecturers. We are training them up as if they're going to Bible school for three years. 
And then we've got our pastors who've already been to Bible school, and we are taking them a step further. You have to sharpen your axe. When you come to Bible studies and come to learn from the Word of God, you sharpen your axe so that you can be ready to chop down the next tree that God wants you to do. Okay, so that was just a group. You can go on, my brother. Okay, go on. That is, I love youth and I love children. All, everybody over 14 to 21, just put up your hands. You are awesome. You are awesome. Don't let anybody look down on you. Don't let anybody tell you you cannot, because you can. Through Christ you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I want to encourage the youth and the children, become your very best for God. That's what I, why I have it. Aim high for excellence. God wants you to be excellent, okay? Encouraging you. That's some of the high school students and the primary school children that I work with. We teach them morals. We teach them ethics. We teach them, first of all, about God. The first half of the year, we only spend talking about God to them. And the second half, we talk about good manners because good manners have gone out of the door. So we teach them about good manners. We teach them about how to live for Christ, how not to be promiscuous. We teach them about what God requires from them in their lifestyle, and they're just loving it. So that's all that we do there. I've got one primary school. I work in Masi Pumalela. Who can say that? Masi Pumalela. Okay, that is a squatter camp. That squatter camp was originally created for only 700 people. And now at the moment, they have 50,000 people living there. We have another massive, massive, massive squatter camp, uh, which Nova and, and uh, Dawn both saw when, on their trip to Cape Town. You ride all along this beautiful ocean and bay, and you come to the squatter camp of two and a half million people. One house upon the next for 15 miles by 20 miles. Two and a half million people live there. There's a great need. I don't know about your country, but my country has a great need in that. We have a corrupt government, not now, but before. We had a president who stole 3.5 billion rand from us. Five years ago, and we're still waiting for his court case to come up. The corruption in our government departments is horrendous. That same president, the money he stole was for housing. He had two beautiful Indian friends from India, and they were supposed to provide coal for South Africa. The result being now that we have 10 to 12 hours a day without electricity in our country. Anything from that. And it'll just go off all of a sudden. You won't even know when. But you know what? With all of that, my God's still in control. He's still God. He can still save lives. He can still change lives. He can still uplift people from their poverty. And I tell you, our country is living in terrible poverty at the moment. We have 36.9% of our population is not working. 
Not because they don't want to work, but because there isn't work. And that's why in these squatter camps, uh, this school, my heart, my heart breaks every time I ride into that place. It's so dangerous, my life is in danger every time I go there, but I don't care. If I die, I'm with Christ. Like Paul says, it's better there. So I don't mind. I go in. God's given me a commission. But my heart breaks to see the poverty in those people. Uh, in the school where I am, God opened that door. The principal of that school uh, used to be in our Bible school. He was a graduate from our Bible school, and he's the principal of the school. One day he met me in the bank. He says, I've been looking all over for you. Come and do life coaching at my school, please. And I did. The very next week I was there because God had told me, that's where I want you to be right now. But he told me the saddest thing. You see, from Eastern Cape, that it's a, oh, there we go. From the Eastern Cape, which was the second province up, we've got nine provinces. Like you've got states, we've got provinces. That one province is called Eastern Cape. And from that Eastern Cape, there's no work there. The people are dying and starving of HIV AIDS and illnesses there because there's no food, there's no work. So they are sending their people to Cape Town thinking, Ooh, Cape Town's the land of honey and milk and yeah, we're going to get work. When they get there, there's no work. In Masipumalela, because there's now 50,000 people there already, they can't expand anymore because there's a swamp. Otherwise, I think we would have 100,000 already. But he told, the principal told me this, the first week I was there, he says, my greatest concern, and he's a man, oh, I just admire him so much. Even his staff every week, they put their hands in their pockets to feed those kids. It costs one dollar for a good solid meal for a child. And he said to me, 82% of my students come to school every day with no food. I tell you what, I go and I take my money and I go and buy loaves of bread every week just to try and feed some of those kids. The school was built only for 900 pupils. The government was supposed to have two years ago built another primary school and another high school, but they never did. And the result... They've had to take in 1,982 students this year. They don't have classrooms. The kids are sitting outside. It's winter now in South Africa, by the way. The kids sit outside on the grass, and they have class outdoors. They suffer. Now that breaks my heart. I said to God, help me. Give me wisdom. Give me the openings. I want to speak about this. I want people to be able to give towards these children. Why should children suffer? That is, that is terrible for me. But they are, we're doing everything in our power to help in that school. It's as if the government and the non-profit organizations have forgotten about Mazi Pumalela. I'm going to show you now. That's, that's the principal and his deputy. I raised some funds in South Africa for them for stationery. That's a big problem. They don't have stationery. They don't have pens and books and paper. And that is on the left-hand side is where I was teaching one of my grade seven groups. I teach 250 children every week. 
I, teach, I have sessions with 51 teachers and 53 assistant teachers every week. And that's a God thing. Let's give the Lord a hand for that. I tell you, that's God. And I give him the honor for that. That was the teachers there up at the top. And that's, again, some of the youngsters. Can you see how enthusiastic they are? They love what they are hearing about the word of God. Just go on, my brother. I just want to show you. I'm almost finished, Pastor. That is Mazi Pumalela. Those are some of the shacks that are in there. You can see what it looks like. That is the way they live. That is the way they live. Just go on again. That is part of it from the sky. Sandwich within the Sun Valley Fisher communities is Masipumalela. There are approximately 50,000 people living here, many in small tin shacks. There's no police station, only one small day clinic, and it's estimated that up to 35% of the population is infected with HIV or TB. Violence and crime rate is extremely high. South Africa has the second highest crime rate in the world. But God is good. I tell you what, I have myself walked up to gangs that are standing there, and I say, in the name of Jesus, you will do no harm to this community. I, I'm, listen, I'm a Medea. I'm bold. If the Lord tells me do it, I do it. Because my life means nothing in comparison to what I can do for Christ. And you and I sometimes need to become not this humble little, beautiful little, sweet little, sweet, sweet. We need to become bold for Christ. Take a stand for what is right. Take a stand for what is right. Next one, please, brother. This is some of the riots. We often have riots when they don't have food, when they don't have plain services like running water, running toilets, uh, and, and many other things. So you'll see this kind of situation in the streets there. You can go on, brother. There's just, before, there, you see here at the bottom? They had a fire, over a thousand shacks burnt down. They built one on top of the other. They attached to each other. So if one catches fire, it's very easy. They use primer stoves. Anybody here know what a primer stove is? It's a little thing with paraffin in it, and you pump it, and then you light it, and there's a fire, and they cook on that because they have no electricity. So they cook on that, and then sometimes it falls over, and the whole shack burns, and that's what happened. There's, that's where the whole part, that's a 1,000 shacks burned down there. And those people lost everything. They lost everything. Let's go on, brother. The developing youth and training them in our churches as well and in our communities. You can go on, brother. Feeding the children. You know my heart lies there. Can you see that? My heart lies in feeding those little ones. We teach them how to pray. We do fun things with them. Listen, life is also full of fun. Do you know that? Don't look like you're baptized in lemon juice. Okay? The Bible teaches me the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. There's no doubt about that. Okay, brother, let's go on. That's some of the ladies. I'm, I'm even teaching the ladies how to bead so that they can sell the things and have some living. 
And there's some of the ladies' empowerment meetings. Thank you, brother. This is some more of them, a group that I was with. Okay, go on, brother. I want to put this challenge to you. We are going to make an impact on the next generations in South Africa. And I'm asking you, where will you make an impact? Are you going to make an impact in your community? In your home? You know, sometimes we just got to be the light in our own home, and that's the most difficult part. In our families. In our families. Before I got saved, I was a real, whew, I was a piece of work. I tell you what, and when God saved me, within six months, my whole family was saved because they saw the change that God had brought in my life. And still today, they respect me a lot. They're scared of Medea as well, brother. <laughs> so yes, but I want to really encourage you. If you would like to give, and Pastor, if you would allow me, I've got a little business card here that I like to give out after the service. If you feel God lays it on your heart to support the ministry, I can tell you all the money goes to the ministry. It doesn't go in my pocket, okay? I trust God in other ways. But we want to feed and train these young people. The young people is our future. They're the future of not tomorrow but today. And we need to guide them and mentor them into what Christ wants them to be. God bless you, and I pray for Crossroads. I pray for Crossroads. I love, I love uh, Pastor Hodge, and I love his son. Come on, give your pastor a good hand. He's an awesome young man of God. I'm proud to see you, my brother. I've known them for quite some time. I've known several of you as well for some time, but God bless you, and thank you so much, Pastor, for giving me the opportunity. Thanks. Thank you. Let's hear it from Miss Marion. If you do not get a chance to talk to her after church, if you guys are praying in next week or this week or whatever, you feel Holy Spirit leading you to give, you can get with me or Miss Melody, and we will promise you we will get a way to get your money to Miss Mariana and the mission she is doing. Dang, y'all, I feel so hyped up right now. What in the world? Miss Mariana got me ready to go conquer the world. <laughs> Let's go conquer the world for Jesus. She got me excited. Miss Mariana, your energy at 73 blows my mind. You have more energy than I do, and I'm only 25 years old. My goodness. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Um, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Isn't it amazing to hear about the work that the Lord is doing around the world through people like Miss Marianne? I think sometimes we can, we can get so spoiled in the American culture that we forget people in other countries are hurting, struggling. My goodness. Y'all, we don't have anything like that in America. I mean, my goodness, 50,000, 2.5 million people all in one space clumped together. That just blows my mind. So thank you, Ms. Marion, for sharing with us. And please, if Holy Spirit moves your heart, please either talk to Ms. Marion after uh, church and get one of her cards or talk to me and Ms. Melody as Holy Spirit leads you to do so. Um, would you all stand with me this morning as we get ready to pray? Our main scripture today is going to be... Uh, John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Ooh, if you'd raise your hands to heaven with me as we prepare to receive today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work you've already done in this house today. I pray hearts are receiving what is being put forth by the brothers and sisters of Crossroads and Father. Today, we just thank you. 
We worship you. We thank you for your grace and mercy that extends to us. And Father, I just pray today that you prepare hearts and minds to receive your word. Because this has nothing to do with me. But it's all about you, Holy Spirit. So I pray today that, Holy Spirit, you just work on hearts and minds and you prepare us to receive what you have for us today. In mighty name we pray. Amen. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. You can stay standing, if you would, to read the word of God. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18 says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Father, I just pray that your word, your Son, is so real to us today, Father. Let your word be true in us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So Holy Spirit put this on my heart. This isn't actually a part of what we're going to talk about today. And I know we have baptisms today. By the way, you're, you're, it's not mandatory for you to stay for the baptisms. But I would love if you as a church family would stay and support those who are getting baptized today. But Luke 2.10 says this. You ready? Luke 2.10 says this. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. That's good news, y'all. And so an angel comes to the shepherds and he says, right there, they freak out. They see him and they freak out. Who is this? What is this? And he says, do not be afraid for I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. So Holy Spirit told me to say this day, if you have been taught something in the church or taught something about the father that caused you to live in fear, that caused you to be afraid, that was never the heart of the father. Jesus, Jesus gave us Holy Spirit, which now Holy Spirit inside of us cries out, Abba, Father, not, oh, dictator, don't smite me. And so if you've been taught something in church that has caused you to live in fear, has caused you to be afraid of this life or the next, that's not the heart of the Father. <laughs> Listen, the gospel is literally the too good to be true good news of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, Jesus is not a doctor that says, okay, here's some good news. Here's some bad news. Which one do you want first? There is no bad news in the good news. There is no bad news in the good news. He came to take away the bad news that it was all on your shoulders and to give you the good news that he took it all on his shoulders. Yeah. So I want to encourage you today. The Father's heart has always been for you. It's never been against you. And he doesn't just like you because of what Jesus did. He loved you so much he sent Jesus. And so in this, some, for some reason, we teach sometimes in the American church that God didn't really like you, but he loves Jesus. And the fact of the matter, you accepted Jesus, now he likes you kind of. But don't mess with Jesus or you're out of here. Y'all, the Father's heart was always for his children. It's the whole purpose of why Christ came. That is good news. Does anybody think that's good news? That is good news. Scripture tells us that God is perfect love. 1 John 4, 16. God is perfect love. Two verses later, it says, perfect love drives out all fear. 1 John 4, 18, I need you to hear this. Perfect love drives out all fear. What does that mean? God drives out all fear. When you are in the Father, Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 tells us that nothing can take you out of the hands of the Father. How much safer can you be than that? 
There is nothing to fear in Jesus. Jesus told his disciples on multiple occasions, he says, do not be afraid nor worry. On multiple occasions, he tells his disciples, y'all, in the midst of a storm that they were, they were convinced was going to kill them, Jesus says, do not be afraid. They're worrying about life. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, don't worry about life. God's got this. It's the provision Miss Marion was just talking about. God's got this. You don't have to worry. Hebrews uh, 13, 6 says this. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Not the Lord is my adversary. Not the Lord is against me. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Listen, the fear of the Lord is not you being terrified of what's going to happen to you. It's not whether, oh, can I lose his love? Oh, can I get out of his love? Am I going to be with him in eternity? Is he going to cast me aside? That's not what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord, listen, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, two of their main pillars are beauty and wonder. To be in fear of the Lord means to look upon his beauty with wonder. We've lost beauty and wonder in the American church. We have. We want factual doctrinal statements of what everything is. But in this season, I'm just in awe and wonder of the beauty of the Father. It wasn't. (laughs) Listen, the Father is for you. And I heard a quote this week that really stood out to me. It says, whatever you don't repair, you will repeat. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, you got to start repairing the image of me to the children. You got to start repairing the image because I'm not after them. I'm not angry with them. I sent my son so everything could be reconciled back to me. Some of us will receive. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get it. Second Timothy 1.7 says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of power, like Ms. Marianne said, sometimes you got to walk in power and of love and of a sound mind. Not a spirit of fear. We, we who are in Christ Jesus have nothing to fear. So if you've been taught something in the church that caused you to live in fear, y'all, I'm going to tell you something. When I was a kid, I was terrified of the rapture. Oh, my gosh, my parents wouldn't be home, and I thought I, was, I got left behind. Oh, my gosh, I lived in such fear that I wasn't accepted in the Father. The Father's heart is for you. 1 Peter 5, uh, 5, 17. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. <laughs> no one ever feared when Jesus was near. Why? Because Christ is perfect love. He cast out all fear. So I want to encourage you. This has nothing to really do with what I wanted to talk about today. But the Father said we have to repair some things so we don't repeat them. And I don't want to keep repeating the same toxic cycles apart from Jesus. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm walking in a freedom that I have never experienced because I allowed Holy Spirit to, to restore and repair the image of the Father in my life. Anyone ever seen the odds with the Father because you couldn't reconcile some things which were going on in the scriptures? Yeah, that's where I was, but Holy... <laughs> Anyways, we're today we're talking about the gospel, the good news of grace. C.H. Spurgeon said this, he said, if you preach grace and you don't sound like a heretic, you did it wrong. C.H. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. Why? Because that's how amazing grace is. Amazing grace, right? How sweet the sound. Why? Because grace truly is amazing. And our fickle, small minds cannot wrap around the grace of the Father. 
The grace of the Father, like Miss Marianne said, when she was drawn to the Father, that was the grace of the Father drawing her heart back to him. Right? And so it's the grace that draws us to the Father. And grace, if we do preach it correctly, it does sound like heresy. Why? Because it's the too good to be true good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm done preaching bad news. I'm sick and tired of hearing bad news in the church, man. It's time we step up in the good news and make an impact in this world. Goodness gracious. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. This passage, I hope you still have it pulled up. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. We're actually going to do a couple little word studies of the Greek definitions of a couple of the key words in this. Because when we see the Greek and the definitions of what the writer was trying to say to us in this passage, how many of us know that one word in Greek can mean many different things in English? But also, one word in English, the Greek word could have like 30 different definitions. So we can read a passage without ever looking at the Greek and not fully understand what we just read. And this is why the impact doesn't last with a lot of us. So today, we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to do a little word study. This is what we learn in hermeneutics in Bible college, right? We look at the Greek. So the first word we're going to look at is the word word. And many of us have heard this in church. It's the word logos, which means a word uttered by a living voice. It embodies a, con a conception or idea or also translated the logic and reasoning of God. What does that mean? Jesus is the embodiment of everything the Father ever spoke. This is why Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We're about to find out what that, just what that looks like, but Jesus is the embodiment of everything the Father ever spoke. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made in and through the Word. What does that mean? God spoke and Jesus went out and accomplished it. He is the embodiment of everything the Father ever spoke over us and to us. I need you to hear that. Jesus is the embodiment of everything the Father spoke to us and over us. So if we see in the Old Testament, it doesn't really look like the heart of the Father. It could be very well true that someone misunderstood the heart of the Father. That's why Jesus had to come reveal the heart of the Father that we just read in this passage. He came and declared him, which literally what we're about to see means to reveal or explain him. <laughs> why would you need to reveal or explain something that they already had 100% right? The word full is play race, which means complete, lacking nothing, perfect, filled up completely. Jesus came perfect in grace and truth. I need you to hear this. Jesus came not in partial grace, not grace and wrath. It said Jesus came in perfect grace and perfect truth. Play race means complete, lacking nothing, perfect, filled up completely. The third word is grace, which is charis, which means the free unmerited love and favor of God. The divine influence in our hearts that draws us to God and sustains us and empowers us in this Christian walk and journey. The simplified definition, everything you could never earn and yet are freely given by the Father through Jesus. I need you to hear this. Everything you can never earn, I'm not even going to say you don't deserve because you don't, you don't dictate what you deserve. You don't define what you deserve. So if I ever hear grace one more time say what you didn't deserve, you don't define what you deserve. You're not God. If the Father said you're deserving, guess what you are in his eyes? Deserving. I'm not even going to say. It. It's what you could not earn. Why? Because he's that good. He pours it out freely. It's not what you didn't deserve. The Father looked at you as his child and said, guess what? You're worthy of this. I give it. You deserve it. The more you say you're undeserving, the more you're going to live undeserving of the love and grace of the Father. Oh, I don't deserve this grace. Well, guess what? If you believe that, you're never going to walk in it. I'm not worthy because I determined I was worthy. I'm worthy because the Father said I was worthy. I don't trump the Father, neither do you. 
We do not determine what we are worthy of or what we deserve. The Father does. But the beauty of grace is it, it entails so many things. It entails forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, freedom, wholeness of life, spiritual gifts, inner strength, perseverance, and good works all flow through grace. Do you see how we have cheapened the word grace? We don't even fully understand. These things, all of these things are freely poured out through Jesus. We'll get it to in a minute. None. the fourth word is truth, which is aletheia. Aletheia. Aletheia means objective truth. It means absolute truth, reality, in fact, certainly true, pure truth set aside from feelings or emotions. Objective truth is not influenced by personal feelings, interpretations, or prejudice. It's based on facts. It's purely unbiased. So this means what? <laughs> that Jesus' grace that is poured out on all people is absolute truth. Objective truth. So now knowing that that is objective truth, what we're about to get into, the fact of the matter is how now do we respond subjectively, which is our own responding out of our own truth, how do we respond to the objective truth that in Jesus is freely given forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, freedom, wholeness, spiritual gifts, inner strength, perseverance, and good works? We'll get there. The thing about objective truth is it's true whether you believe it or not. The thing about objective truth is it's true whether you receive it or not. I'm just going to mess with some of our theologies. The fact about objective truth is, is the fact that Jesus came in objective truth, which means what Jesus did has nothing to do with what you think or believe. It's what he actually did. It doesn't matter about your doctrine or your theology. You're not Jesus, nor are you the Father, nor are you Holy Spirit. You don't get to determine that. When we read scripture in light of what it was truly saying, we see that the picture of grace is so much bigger than we could ever imagine. I don't know how somehow we mixed grace and works in the American church where somehow you got to earn grace, where scripture said it was freely poured out on you. Grace upon grace, grace and grace was poured out upon you. And that is objective truth, whether you believe it or receive it or not. That's what Jesus came to establish. The fifth word is received. Received is labano. To take what is one's own, to take to oneself, to make one's own, to claim, procure for one's self. The grace that was in Jesus Christ has now, whether you believe it or not, been poured out upon you. You have received. It says we all have received. Listen, that word... That word in the Greek does not mean only Christians. God's grace is poured out on all the earth. It's those who receive it. So the fact of the matter is all people, whether you realize it or not, have received the grace of the Father. Through who? Jesus, grace personified. <coughs> to claim, procure for oneself. Everything that Jesus is, we can now be. We are joint heirs with Christ. So, the sixth word is through, is dia. It means by means of or because of. Through Moses came the law. Through Moses came what? Sin and death. But through Jesus, spirit and life. Because of, by means of Jesus, the better way, the better covenant, by means of Jesus, 
because of Jesus, grace upon grace has been poured out in the entire earth. So much bigger than we've made it. Verse 7. Sorry, number 7 is this. Declared is exegemoe, which means this. To lead out, be leader, go before, unfold a teaching, to unfold, declare, to explain, or reveal. Bradley, will you, will you go to the uh, next slide? Listen, this is, this is John, the same, the same uh, passage, but now with the Greek definitions, I'm calling it the, the Josiah's uh, Amplified Version. You ready for this? Look, look up at the screen, the Josiah's Amplified Version. And the word, everything God ever spoke over and to humanity, the logic and reason of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full Perfectly complete, lacking nothing of grace, everything we could not earn, forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, freedom, spiritual gifts, and truth, the objective truth, absolute truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Verse 16, and of his fullness, his perfection and overflow we have all received what was his is now ours. We now partake of what he is and what he is full of and grace for grace, more grace than we could ever imagine, has been freely poured out on us over and over. For the law was given through Moses, but grace, everything we could never earn and truth, the reality and absolute truth of the Father and his grace came through by means of, because of Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God at any time, which Moses said he saw the face of God, so I'm not going to get into that. The only begotten Son, who's in the bosom of the Father, he's one with the Father, has declared him, has revealed and explained him. The Father was never evil and mean. The Father was never wrathful and angry. The Father has always been filled of grace. Why? Because Jesus is everything the Father ever spoke, and now he comes in the form of man. Jesus said, you judge everyone. I don't even judge anyone. So Jesus is grace personified, grace in the flesh, the very word of God spoken over humanity. So next time you go to call yourself garbage, does Jesus call you garbage? Next time you say I'm not worthy, next time you say I'm useless, does Jesus say you're useless? Last time, listen, some of us have been real hurt in church. We were told things about ourselves that we were like, dang, I'm the scum of the earth. I'm not here to make you afraid and feel like the scum of the earth. I'm here to tell you who you truly are. You are a son and daughter of God who the Father, through his grace, has said you are worthy and you deserve this. Mm. <laughs> listen, grace is a person and his name is Jesus. And this is what gets crazy. Jesus is grace personified. In word and deed, Jesus was what? Full of grace and truth. Absolute, objective, truth. Set of, listen, the Pharisees didn't believe he was true, but was he true? The Gentiles didn't believe him at first, and they didn't believe he was true, but was he still true? Mm. His, his truth was absolute whether we believed it or received it or not. Listen, grace is a person and his name is Jesus. And this is the crazy thing about grace now through Jesus. Grace doesn't just float up in the atmosphere somewhere where you got to go and try to obtain it. All who are in Christ Jesus are what with Christ Jesus? One with Christ Jesus. Colossians 3:11b. But Christ is all and in all. Grace now lives inside of you. 
Grace is not obtained through works that we may boast. Grace is not obtained by striving. Grace is not obtained by being good enough. Grace is definitely not obtained by the law because the law brings death. Grace now lives inside of you. What does that mean? You are forgiven. You will always be forgiven. You are reconciled. You will always be reconciled. You are redeemed. You will always be redeemed. Perseverance is being birthed in your soul to carry on the work of the Lord. Good works are being birthed in you. Listen, there's a difference between good works out of grace and good works out of striving. Good works out of striving, you get burnt out in a couple months. Good works out of grace, you cannot stop and no one can stop you. Spiritual gifts are poured out through this grace, which empowers you to literally be a superhuman on the earth as Jesus was. That lives inside of you. If you were to ask a child where Jesus lives, what would they say? Where does Jesus live? We put them off at a distance so often. We put them off. You got to get grace. Earn your grace. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry. You cannot earn grace. It is a free gift of God. Not by works, lest you may boast. Like Miss Marianne said, this has nothing to do with us. We are but vessels of the Father. Grace now lives inside of you. Now, what does that change? When you get a revelation of grace, guess how you're going to respond to people now? Out of the overflow of grace. You're going to find yourself not blowing up on people like you used to blow up on people. Why? Because Jesus, grace personified, now lives in you. What does that mean? You are a walking, talking testimony of grace. Guess what you can now be? You can be grace personified. He is all and he is in all. He is grace. And now grace can live inside of you. Listen, we have to understand Jesus. Everything Jesus said and did was primarily, was primarily revolving around grace. One of my favorite parables is the parable of the uh, landowner. Jesus sits down and tells this parable and he says, there was a landowner and he goes out to look for workers and to work his fields. He goes out and he gets a group of people and one denarius, they say, we'll work for you a whole day for one denarius. One. All right, everybody, one denarius. Six hours into midday, he goes out because he needs more workers and they agree upon one denarius. Hmm, wait, that doesn't make any sense. He goes out the last hour of the day for more workers and they agree upon one denarius. It's the end of the work day and he's paying people and the first people see the last people receive just as much as they received. Why are they getting as much as me? I worked the whole day. Oh, God, I've worked for you so hard. I've earned this. The landowner says, wait, is this not legal? Did we not agree upon one denarius? Can I not pay what I choose to pay? Jesus looks at Pharisees and they're, how, Jesus, how could you be around sinners? How dare you? You're so unrighteous. What's wrong with you? Jesus tells this parable and what is he saying? It's not up to you who receives grace. Since when do we determine who deserves grace? Since when did we take mantle of judge? Listen, Christ and God are the righteous judge, but you don't determine what that means. Your definition of righteous judge is not God's definition of righteous judge. Do you know what I've learned in ministry? You may see one giant mess up, but you didn't see the years of trauma and disaster that was in that person's life. So we judge a person based off one situation without looking through the history of brokenness in their lives. Jesus looked at the Pharisees. He said, you judge everyone by the flesh. What's wrong with you? You don't even see the whole story. And Jesus says, I, I, I have the authority. God said, I've given all authority to Jesus to judge. And Jesus said, guess what? I judge nobody. 
I'm going to let you wrestle with that fact right there. Who are we to determine what it means to be righteous judge? I hear Christians all the time wanting to play righteous judge, trying to tell God what he's supposed to do. You don't know their story. You don't know the brokenness, nor the abuse, nor the trauma in that person's life for you to act as righteous judge. Man, if half the people in this church could see what we do outside these buildings, they'd probably be smiting you to hell. Why? Because our idea of righteousness is purely skewed based upon our own feelings and emotions. Our idea of righteousness is subjective truth. It's based upon our feelings and emotions. God's righteousness is based on objective truth that never changes and is factual and only 100% unbiased. I need you to hear that about, about the truth of Jesus. It's unbiased. Scripture tells us that God does not show favoritism. So why do we act like God's always looking at church people like we're the best thing on the planet, everyone else is scum? See, this is what happens when we don't know the Greek. We think anytime the Bible writes to all people or the people, we always think it's talking about Christians. The Bible in the Greek is very specific when it's talking about a specific group of human beings. We all love the parable of the prodigal son. Let's talk about that one. So the the young man looks at his father and says, I want my inheritance. Y'all, back in that day, he was telling his father he wishes he was dead. How many of us have treated God like we wish he was dead? Sound familiar? Yeah, me too. So he looks at his father and basically says, hey, I wish you were dead so I could have all of your money. And so the father says, I release you. Here, take it. Go. The young rich ruler goes out into the world. What does he do? He spends it all. He blows it all. He parties. He has a great time. And then he finds himself with no money, no job, nothing, right? And so he works with pigs, which to a Jew, you would never touch a pig. That is purely unclean. So what does that mean? He was at the lowest point. I need y'all to understand this parable. This young man was at the lowest point of his life. Y'all, he was about to eat pig food. About to eat pig food. And he thinks to himself, wow, my father's servants, they live so well. He's so kind. Huh? Who would thought? He's so kind and merciful and gracious to them. I'm going to go home and I'm going to be my father's servant. You know what it says? It says when the father saw him from a long distance off. Remember, this young man had just got done doing everything we're told not to do in church. He just broke every rule that was given to him. And his father, our father, sees him from a distance and runs to him. Throws his cloak on him, brings him a new pair of shoes, and gives him his signet ring. The son goes to apologize, and the father says no. Throw this young man a party. My son has returned. But big brother's around. <laughs> big brother comes from working and big brother sees there's a party. So he asks the servant, what's going on? He says, your brother has returned. Big brother makes a beeline for daddy. How could you throw him? You've never thrown me a party. I've worked for you faithfully. My, I, God, I deserve this. I've earned this my whole life. And the father says, why are you complaining? All that I have is yours. Why are we mad who gets grace and who? Y'all, we in the church act like we have earned the grace. Why do we get mad when God pours out his grace on other people? If anyone, we should be excited when the grace of God is poured out on someone else. We should want all people to go to heaven. Our heart should be postured in the place of grace. Grace constantly gives what you could never earn. We should want all people to be in heaven one day and then reconciled on the new heavens and the new earth. Who are we to decide who deserves grace? 
Man, if that has not been me in my life, those parables are me, y'all. Thinking I was better than somebody else, thinking I'd earned this righteousness thing. (laughs) We are only righteous in Jesus. It's only because of Jesus. Hmm. I love two stories, specifically two stories in the Bible. My favorite, one of my favorite all time is the woman caught in adultery. God, I love this story. God, just grace personified. Y'all, when it says this woman was caught in the act, she was like, let's just say she had no clothes on. She's caught in the act of adultery and she's thrown out. Listen, y'all know this story, but listen to it. Just listen. She's thrown out before Jesus and right according to the law of Moses, this woman had to be killed. Jesus, what are we going to do, right? They're trying to catch Jesus in a trap. Jesus, what do we do according to the laws of Moses? This woman's going to be stoned. Isn't it funny how only the woman and not the man who was also committing? Is that the heart of the father? <laughs> that ain't the heart of the father. Shoot, if it was, both of them be going to be getting it. All right. So Jesus is writing, y'all. Listen, I've heard people write a million things about Jesus was writing in the sand. I personally think Jesus was just messing with the Pharisees and like ignoring them, probably drawing pictures or something. It really doesn't matter. Like, listen, y'all, I've heard whole sermons of what Jesus wrote in the sand. Nobody knows. It doesn't matter. So I think Jesus was trolling them because Jesus always trolled the Pharisees because he's like, why are y'all so mad all the time, bro? I was about to make a joke. Never mind. Anyways, so he's writing. He's writing in the sand. So they're, they're right there badgering him. And Jesus is like, okay, whatever. So Jesus looks up. What does he say? Let he who has not sinned cast the first stone. Well, to say you haven't sinned is to say you're the son of God. So they could never say that. So what do they do? And Jesus looks at the woman. I love this so much. Woman, where are those who, who, where are those who condemn you? Lord, they're nowhere. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And this is what he says. He doesn't say go and sin no more. The translation is go, you are forgiven of your sin. Y'all, this woman was caught in adultery, which most of us Christians are like, oh my gosh, they're horrible. They're the worst human on the planet. How dare they do such a thing? Y'all, we're all broken. We all fall sometimes. But this is the thing. Jesus, who is the righteous judge, saw it righteous not to condemn her. How often do we condemn people for their actions? Let's talk about another one. Let's talk about Jesus and the leper. In Mark chapter 1, a leper comes running through the crowd. And if you don't know, in those days, a leper would have to wear a bell like a dog. Why? Because he was unclean and he was contagious. And the Jews wanted nothing to do with him. Y'all, they had leper colonies. Have any of you ever, like, studied leper colonies? Terrible, y'all. It's terrifying stuff happened there. Like, they were, like, trying to saw people's arms off and stuff. It was terrifying. So this leper comes from the leper colony, and he runs up to Jesus, and he says, Lord, if you are willing, heal me. Make me whole. And like, y'all, you got to think about a picture in your head. Thousands of people were always following Jesus. So what happens when he comes? Shoo! Red Sea parts. And here comes this, there comes this leper. And everyone's probably expecting Jesus to be like, whoa, bro. Like, get up out of my face. And so he keeps walking to Jesus. And Jesus, like, oh, God. Y'all, this leper, once you, once you got leprosy, you were removed from your family. Your wife technically had to divorce you or your husband technically had to divorce you. You were never allowed to see your children. You were disowned by your family because you were now unclean and you were a filthy thing to them. You were actually bringing shame on your family if you had leprosy, like it, like it was their fault or something. And so he comes to Jesus, broken, y'all. This man's broken. You know for a fact he's broken, isolated from society. Nobody wants anything to do with him. And, y'all, in that culture, you got married. You were just not not married. You had a family. That's how culture worked. And so he's going, right? This man's been separated from everyone around him. And I love this. The actual translation says, right, Jesus looked to him. And one, one version says Jesus outstretched a hand, but in the actual Greek, it says Jesus embraced him. 
imagine this picture. The Red Sea parts, and only Jesus is standing in the middle. And this man comes in, probably all shriveled up, all messed up, nasty, skin's falling off, faces all tore up. And he comes to Jesus, probably limping at this point, man. We don't know how long he had leprosy. But he comes to Jesus, and Jesus, his first response to the man everyone else was running from was to hug him. Even if Jesus did not heal him, do you know what that hug would have meant to him? Pause. Grace upon grace. Jesus could have shown grace and hugged this man who had not been touched for years. But he doesn't just go to the level of hugging him and showing kindness. He does grace upon grace. Not only does he embrace him, he heals him. Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under, but under, but under. So the question is to this aletheia, this absolute truth, which stands whether we want to receive it or believe it or not. How do we now subjectively respond to this objective truth of grace? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through what? And that not of your selves, there we go, is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, the fact of the matter is the Father always, his grace, y'all, is constant in the earth. Like, you need to understand, this is, this is what Scripture says. God, his spirit, is constantly drawing people into himself. And scripture even says that God wills for all to be saved. Have we ever just thought about that passage? God wills for all to be saved. His grace is constantly in the earth and it's present in Jesus Christ at all times. But listen, grace is not activated in our lives until we actually have faith and believe it and receive it. Grace is not, act, listen, listen, this is why Christians can never live in grace because grace is activated through faith. You have to believe in grace to receive grace. Grace is poured out, but it is activated through faith. Grace through faith. So now it comes to the point when we see grace, are we going to receive the objective truth of grace? What do I mean by activated? I mean we will not live out this objective truth of grace until we actually believe it's true. So many Christians believe half of grace, half grace, half works. We're good. No, listen. Y'all, this is what Paul called witchcraft. In Galatians, he said, who has bewitched you that you have mixed the law and grace? Why? Because you cannot mix man-made works with the Holy Father. He's above all, beyond all. His ways are higher than all ways. So the fact of the matter is, in this season of radical grace, because in my, the more I look at grace, the more I'm just amazed by grace. Y'all, I... I hear grace, I've heard grace my whole life being in church, but it didn't mean anything to me until the last couple of months. So the fact of the matter is the gospel is one gospel with many facets to it. And one of the main, the surface level of the gospel is the good news of grace. Why? Because before Jesus, no one even knew it was there. One version says Jesus, (laughs) it doesn't say grace came through Jesus, it says grace was realized through Jesus. Because Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father. The Father's heart was always, say it a little bit loud, the Father's heart was always grace. Listen, today, as we're about to go into a time of baptisms, 
man, today is a great sign of grace. The grace of God drawing people unto himself. This is a sign of grace. But today is the day for many of you who have not walked in grace. Listen, do you want to know how you've had a revelation of grace or not? Do you want to know like, like the easy way to find out? Do you live graciously? Oh, I know grace. I know grace. Do you? Because what you believe is how you will live. And so, listen, I can tell what some of y'all really believe about the Bible because I see it manifest in your lifestyles. Some of y'all don't even believe anymore with some of the things you were taught because you realize, hold up. I don't want to get myself in trouble. But listen, this this is a great sign of grace. And y'all, today is the day. I mean, listen, we miss so many opportunities when we gather together. We miss so many opportunities because either afraid of what the person beside us is going to think. I'm not even saying you've got to come up front to receive. I'm saying today's the day you can posture in your heart to have a deeper revelation of grace. Because the fact of the matter is you believing doesn't make it exist. It's already there. Your belief doesn't manifest anything. It's already been, already been manifested through Jesus. You ever heard that? Oh, manifest it. Believe it. Manifest it. No, Jesus Christ already brought everything we need to live in a godly life on this earth. Through Jesus. Y'all, today is the day we can actually, listen, how many times have y'all sang Amazing Grace? How many times have you not actually believed it? We say Amazing Grace, right? And we get into it. Oh, yeah, boy, that's our song. And then we go out and scream at our neighbors, cuss out our family, rude to our waitresses and waiters because they didn't get us our food fast enough. Y'all, so often in the church, we say things we don't actually believe. And I think that season has to shift. For us, Scripture says, now, now with unveiled faces, we are able to behold the glory of Jesus. Jesus is full of what? And grace and mercy, truth, all the above. Grace and truth. Listen, John was very specific about how he described the coming of Jesus. Do we understand this? There were two things he used to describe Jesus. Grace and truth. Oh, Jesus is power. Yes, he is power, but his power comes out of his grace. Wait, you, you can have power in grace? Well, duh, he created the whole universe. Listen, so often we think Jesus is conqueror. He conquered hell, death, and the grave, not humans. He's creator of humans and he loves humans. Friend of sinners came because he loved the world. Y'all, today is the day we can believe, listen, I don't want to call her out, but I am. Y'all, Melody Weeks, I have seen this woman living in more freedom than I ever have in my life because she believes the good news that's too good to be true. You know what set me free? The good news that's too good to be true because I could never believe grace was actually this big. I had to earn something. I'm, I can't, I, right? I'm, I'm motivated. I'm a striver. I have to achieve. But the fact of the matter is it is true whether you believe it or receive it or not. Grace is that big. Would you please all stand with me? Those who are going to be baptized, this is the time you can go get changed and get ready. Um, Once again, you do not have to stay for the baptismal section of our uh, gathering today. But I would love if you stayed and celebrated. And I mean, when they come out that water, shout, yell, whatever you got to do, let them know you're proud of them. But man, I just want to to pray a deeper level, a deeper revelation of, of grace. To be a church that truly walks in grace. Listen, do you know the reason that the early church was so irresistible to the world? Because they walked in grace. Grace is truly irresistible. Someone who treats you a way you never thought you could deserve or earn, that's irresistible. 
Father, today I pray for deeper revelation, like we've been praying for weeks now, of grace. Of of grace that makes us feel crazy. A grace that goes against a lot of what we were taught because the fact of the matter is you determine who deserves, you determine who gets it, you determine all of it. And so, Father, I just pray we would submit to you and who you are, not who we want you to be, not who we think you should be, not what we think you should do, but because of who you are, we submit to you because we love you. And Father, today, I just pray if there are people in this room who've never had a revelation of grace, true grace, where they start living graciously, that we would respond (laughs) to grace with grace. Thank you, Father. Grace from human perspective is just thanksgiving to what the Father has poured out on us. That's why we say, give grace for the food. You're thanking God for all his provisions. So Father, today, I just pray we would respond to grace with grace that we would respond to the goodness of your love and mercy with thanksgiving. Father, that's all you ask of us is that we thank you for what you've done and that we now walk in it and live out this gracious life filled with grace and truth, walking in the freedom and the redemption and reconciliation and wholeness and spiritual gifts and perseverance and good works that flow through your grace. King Jesus, I just pray that we look more like you day by day. And Father, I know there are people in this house who are struggling with family right now, sicknesses and families, to the point where they don't know if they can even handle it anymore. And they haven't been gracious the way they want to be, but today's a new day. There are people in this place who fight with siblings, fight with parents, discussions, arguments all the time, but today's a new day. Today's the day that we draw people to Christ, not out of fear of hell, but because of the grace of the Father that overwhelms us with love. Father, I pray that little by little we repair what has been broken so we do not repeat it. And that today we walk in grace like never before and we believe subjectively your objective truth that you have poured out on all humanity. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. All right, once again, guys, uh, please stay. If you got to go, we completely understand, but we would love to celebrate with all of you. Pastor Betty, is there food across the street? Yes, after, after water baptism, we have our food pantry across the street um, where you can partake of that. Thank you guys so much, and we're about to do baptism.